Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. We finally have ourselves a race preview after all this time. And I just want to say a personal message from me. Thank you so much for your kind reactions to my segment on race and privilege last week. Too many to even start replying to. There was genuinely a flood. And I just want to tell you that it means a lot. Uh, but for now, I want to put a pin in that kind of thing as far as Miss Apex goes. But I will be featuring on two podcasts on that topic in the near future. So I'll make sure to point you at those. Um, but, you know, it was tempting to go into it again this week. Bernie Ecclestone said some stuff, but I'm not going to touch that because that is very much slow news day stuff. And I don't think it's relevant when we have a race coming up in just 9,880 minutes. So let's crack on with the show. I don't do this alone. I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Two Rumpets. Howdy, Matt. Hey there. All I can say is I'm glad we had that test outing on the track to get our procedures and knock the rust off before we had our race preview show. Welcome back to those prodigal sons and daughters out there who weren't here during the winter season. All I can say to those people, Matt, is where, where have you been? You've missed out on so much off-season content, but we are glad to have you back. It is fair to say that obviously the ones who stayed all winter are our absolute favourites. Uh, but you guys, you're welcome back too. And uh, I'm glad you're here and excited for the start of the new season. I suggest, Matt, for those prodigal sons and daughters, we still uh, kill a fatted calf and throw the same celebration as we would for everyone. I am down for this plan. <laughs> we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission 
of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We also have two panellists joining us on the show today. We have veterinary surgeon and quizmaster Chris Catman-Turner. Good evening, everybody. Hi, I am angry with you still. Uh, your quiz was too difficult. I literally got zero points on your last quiz I call Fix. It seemed like an aggressive move from you, and I'm not over it. I I feel that uh, you shouldn't blame the, the tool spanners. Damn you tools! You've, you've cursed me once again. You've done for me. And joining us live from a sim racing pod, it's our driver pro, Bradley Philpott. How's it going, Brad? It's going absolutely fine. Nothing went wrong. And I'm really glad to be back on this Apex. It's weird to be doing uh, the first race of the season and it's Austria. And that's not me correcting someone and saying, no, 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 it's Australia. It's actually Austria. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. I did have to, in fact, I always have to check the spelling of Australia when we do our Australian shows. But yeah, I did have a little bit of a double take when I said it's the Austrian Grand Prix. We've got two of them which is absolutely fantastic. And we'll be reviewing, obviously, the track and the races. But first, let's get to a little bit of Big Dirty News. Big Dirty News. So, Matt, I think uh, we touched on this last week, but I think we felt that when we left the aborted Australian Grand Prix, somehow this big cryogenic fog had just set over Formula One and left stuff alone. But actually, there's quite a lot of new stuff to be on the lookout for. Yeah, and we have mentioned some of these things over the past few weeks. But since there's an actual race coming up next week, assuming nothing goes wrong between now and then, (laughs) uh, I figured it might be good to sort of review the state of who's bringing what to the track and discuss it briefly. Okay, so um, let's start off with Mercedes then. Uh, Mercedes is is targeting updates immediately, as if as if the rest as if they didn't have an advantage already. The rest of the field must be going, oh, co- oh come on! Now what are they going to bring this time from a movable suspension strut? What is it going to be this time? It's going to be rocket boosters out the back and red shells to fire out the front. Well, actually, they focus very much on car development, and they have uh, you know however many months worth of development that they want to bring to Austria. Uh, And James Allison said as much as like, well, you know, we've had everybody working, we're following our usual process. So we're we're planning to bring a fair amount of changes from what we saw in testing, because we didn't really get to see the cars properly in Australia. They, they, I think they screwed them together for scrutineering, but I don't even know if that happened. And they certainly didn't hit the track. So that's also opened some loopholes potentially for, for other cars as well. But we'll get to that in a minute. The point is, Mercedes is bringing a fairly large and extensive update to this race because they've had all that time at home and nothing better to do. So they've just been whiling away the hours thinking of ever more clever ways to be aerodynamically efficient. So how has the uh, the shutdown affected them or all the teams then? Because I was under the impression that a lot of development was meant to be halted because they were meant to be uh, sitting at home doing nothing. But clearly that's not the case because almost every team's bringing something. Uh, That's an excellent question. They were halted because if you recall, Formula One moved the summer break forward to the start of the lockdown. But the summer break is only so long. And once that was over, a fair amount of staff went back to work, uh, most of them remotely, some of them coming back to the office. But certainly as someone who designs aerodynamics and someone who designs and has access to a remote office suite, 
you can sit there and play with your, well, you can sit there and play with the computer graphics all day long and work out clever ways to make your car go faster. And this is what we are going to see from Mercedes. You have to imagine, don't you, that they've been sat there just on Zoom calls the entire time. And when you take like one of the most efficient, organized, largest uh, engineering teams that Formula One has ever seen, you just it's in, almost inconceivable that they didn't come up with something over the course of a period where not only did they have that time, but they had no other distractions as well. So there was no races to worry about. It's like, hey, super, super intelligent people at Brackley come up with insanely good ideas to, uh, to upset and depress the rest of the field. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they were going through old drawers and old files looking at stuff they'd done years and years ago, just looking for some clever thing that they haven't thought of. I mean, it's not enough that they have the DOS steering that they're <laughs> potentially going to bring to the track. But who knows what they found? That this that's a very good point actually with the DAS steering is I wonder if any teams have actually put any serious effort into developing a system of their own. I haven't heard of any so far, but it will have given them some time to be able to at least think about it. I don't know. What what do we think about that? Uh because Brad, from a, a driving point of view, I, I saw by the way, I, I saw your excellent video. You happened to be testing in Norway at the time, uh, Sweden. You happened to be testing in Sweden at that time, didn't you? And you did the video where you were able to pull your steering wheel backwards and forwards. And I, as someone who has accidentally unlocked his steering wheel before in a car, I found that really alarming. My steering wheel's moving. But there you were, casually sliding around uh, an ice, an icy test track with your steering wheel backwards and forward. You know, just for the lulls. Racing drivers are crazy. I don't think that's going to be too much of an issue for the drivers because it's not a massive amount of movement. I don't think they're going to be too put off by it. So if it actually has a genuine lap time gain, then I think um, I think they'll be really happy for it. But no, no, Brad, I actually have a question on this on this I, subject. I, I will go, say, go ahead. I will say there, Brad, the, the DAS system, it's designed to do that and it's quite stiff. What you were doing was just doing it in like a standard car and it looked hella dangerous. What's your question? So the uh, this system was supposedly banned for next year. So it was only going to be this one year of use they got from it. But the regulations for this year have been extended for another year. So does that mean it isn't actually banned until the end of next year? Or, or is that is it going to be cleared up anyway at the end of 2020? I mean, that I is a, almost, yeah. yeah, that's a super interesting I, question. And for some reason, I assumed you were asking me that question. I don't know why. Uh, so apologies there. I think that they will ban it for next year because the other teams won't have developed a solution because it's not something they can solve in a single season. So they want to spend development time on it. And let's recall that um, development tokens are being instituted for controlling the chassis from this year to next year. So the teams are allowed two modifications. Uh, I don't believe a modification is necessary to run a standard system instead of DOS. So I think they will just write it out of the regulations. That said, it won't necessarily be the first time if they accidentally forget to write it out of the regulations that the regulations <laughs> have left some holes that perhaps they shouldn't have. So I've just got a question here to follow up from our live chat. Hello, live chat. Nice and nice and full in that chat room as well. And somebody has said, won't the stewards ban it in the first race? That's Mark who said that in our live chat room. Go to YouTube, search for Missed Apex podcast, and you can chat along live and give us your input as you are, uh, as we're recording. And uh, your presence does make a massive, massive difference to us. And we, we love you being here. Uh, but Matt, d- is there still a chance that uh, we're looking at uh, 
an, um, an appeal from the teams immediately the second they get on track with this tech? Uh, it's possible. I believe Red Bull had made uh, some disgruntled noises about doing that sort of a thing. But Mercedes is in a fairly good position. They checked its legality and they're able to run without it. So I don't see it as being anything other than a, a bit of a distraction. And And their own take on it is it's not really worth a lot of lap time. Most people think that the system actually is more geared towards helping control tire temperatures, which being able to control tire temperatures might be worth rather a lot of lap time. It might be very important to them in Austria. Uh, so, Brad, if you're in a single seater race car and you have this opportunity to do DAS and to change the wheel angles, do you want it? Yeah, absolutely. If there's a lap time gain to be found there, then yes, whether it's through um, tire temperature management or just steering geometry improvement for certain situations, then you definitely want it. And and it's out of all the things Formula One drivers have to control, you know, changing diff settings and all various little switches on their steering wheel. This is something that I think is a pretty simple activation and quite a simple thing to notice the difference and then respond to it. So I don't think it's a particularly complicated thing. It wasn't that long ago. They were taking their hand off the steering wheel to to cover a hole for the F-ducts, was it? So um, I think <laughs> I would definitely want it. Yeah, and if your mirror's falling off and your Charles Leclerc going, around 130R, you can you lean over and, and, and hold your wing mirror on so they can do all sorts. Matt? Yeah, I was going to ask Brad, like, like, I mean, essentially what this does is control the toe through a couple of degrees. So imagine as a driver, you have the ability to change toe out and toe in as you're driving. Would that be a useful thing for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as the car evolves through a stint and you've got different handling characteristics, then you want different amounts. So these are things that you don't normally think about because it's normally just a total impossibility. But yes, you would, you'd love to have dynamic car setup through a stint and to be able to, you know, say, for example, you, you're suffering with understeer, increase the toe out as an example. So you, you just can't normally do it. So I'm really interested to see if they do use it or whether it is too crude, a, you know, a big adjustment, um, for it to to be used in that way and whether it is simply warming up the front on, on an outlap. Now, I swear I'm not trying to turn this into tech time under Spanner's nose, but do you want to take just a second and explain to the wider audience what toe is and how it affects handling a little bit? Yeah, in a really simple way. Um, generally, if you're trying to increase the amount that the car will turn into a corner, so if you're trying to get rid of a bit of understeer, one of your setup adjustments at your disposal would be to increase toe out. So where you effectively face the front wheels, the, the front leading edge of the front wheels away from each other. Um, so like you're standing with your feet pointing outwards, your toes pointing outwards. Um, and if and the opposite of that would be toe-in. If you had a little bit too much of a twitchy car, um, you had too much front end, you'd then basically do the opposite. You'd straighten the toe or add a bit of toe-in. And we don't really have time to go into why that affects the car like that, but those are, in basic terms, what you would do. Toe-out to help the car turn in and toe-in to neutralize that a bit. Did you get your tech, tech fix there, Matt? Are you happy? Are you pleased with yourself? Well, Brad and I haven't talked about how breakers are designed <laughs> in tires yet, so no. Mo- moving it, on for now. our next topic our next topic is then i tell you what this it's actually a good start point uh move down the teams a little bit and see what we can expect from the car and then i asked on twitter people uh which battles they're looking forward to as well and we got some really good answers for that too so let's move uh presumably down to second place on the grid going on last season so uh ferrari now ferrari rumors about a power unit and a gearbox but generally as soon as things start developing developing properly, and actually by about this stage in what would have been the actual season, this is where 
traditionally we've started to see Mercedes really open its stride with development. Red Bull starting to get into the mix as well. But Ferrari, I don't know, not so much. Well, uh, Ferrari have taken an interesting tack. Um, first of all, they've obviously been cooperating with the FIA on their uh, new rules to control oil burning and energy usage. Uh, but they have said in the press that their main goal was to make sure that their understanding of the car was complete from testing and that they feel fairly happy. They've got a handle on what's been going on. Now, we did see a story saying that they were, because the cars never made it to the track in Australia, the event didn't begin, engine number one never happened. Okay. And that they were bringing an, an upgraded engine worth 15 brake horsepower relative to testing. For free. To Austria, along with a redesigned gearbox that would be stiffer and provide better handling characteristics. Now, in certain other press outlets. Ferrari has denied that this is the case. So it's a bit of a uh, Schrodinger's upgrade right now. We won't, won't really know till we get a good look at it in Austria. But if they're bringing anything besides that, it's just some bits and bobs and they haven't been as focused on development as Mercedes and Red Bull have. So one thing you could say about that would be that if... Um, if if they've actually been able to manufacture more of the same parts, that might actually be beneficial to them because Austria is a bit of a car breaker. And if you're bringing brand new parts to this sort of circuit, and you've got two of them in two weeks, you might find that some of the lesser funded teams like Williams may actually run out of bits towards that second race, particularly I know the curbs are nowhere near as harsh as they were a couple of years ago. Um, but actually that could become a real issue. Yeah, it's it's a real possibility. It's the same track. It's two weeks in a row. And and we've seen uh, supply line issues could could be much more of a problem, uh, given uh, potential transportation difficulties between where parts are manufactured and where races are occurring. So it might be prudent if I'm a midfield or backfield or my own race team, as Williams is, uh, to, to make sure that I have enough spares on hand for all of the racing that I'm planning to do at this location. Ah, now, do you know what? Interesting that you bring logistics into it. You, you know how much I love a logistics supply chain. That's like my equivalent of your tyres. So let's get down into it. Let's let's spend the next 20 minutes talking about logistics supply chains. But, but uh, No, well, uh, the, the, the actual serious implication of that could be that you could have a situation where you do run out of front, front wings. And we know Austria does have those big high car, uh, curbs as as Catman was pointing out. So, yeah, I mean, it could could come a case where who do you give your new wing to? Well, that, that situation has happened in the past without pandemics to deal with because we had <laughs> back at Silverstone a few years ago, I think um, Vettel destroyed his front wing at Silverstone and Mark Webber had to give his front wing that was already on his car to Vettel. Um, and, of course, last year, um, famously, I think, Kubica uh, didn't have enough bits they thought to complete some races so um yeah that that's already in the pipeline should we move on down the grid a little bit then matt because before the start of the season we were well on tr we were well and truly on the red bull hype train and i was really looking forward to seeing them coming out of the box because the last three or four years red bull have been so frustrating in that they are clearly uh, an amazing team especially especially aerodynamically they deliver great drivers. They have like a great young hope in Max Verstappen in that team as well. 
but they just kept failing to come out of the box with enough. Their hand was kind of being forced, I think, by power unit in you know deficiencies, and they always felt like they had to strip the arrow back. I guess I'm, I'm completely guessing here. This is just what I thought to to make up for the lack of horsepower. Now to see a Red Bull where they've got enough grunt, perhaps everything I'm, I'm hearing with my ear to the ground is telling me that that Honda power unit has got grunt. They're like really, really bullish, excuse the pun, they're really bullish about the power unit. And finally, we can see Red Bull spread its spread its aerodynamic wings once again, because basically what we've seen in the last few seasons is, is a team hobbled, you know, a, a team of great aerodynamicists or a great aerodynamic philosophy almost completely held back fighting with one hand tied behind its back. Yeah. I mean, we know um, much like Mercedes because we saw Red Bull uh, running at Silverstone with new aero parts, significant new aero parts. So I think much like Mercedes, uh, Red Bull has had the time where normally they've lagged and worked on their development. They've had that time at home in the studio uh, to get fancy and creative. Um, so I think that if we're talking about team races, and let's recall that this is Red Bull's home race and that they have won it the past two years at a trot, I think that Red Bull Mercedes could be the story of the race. And that I think you're going to see Ferrari just maybe there or thereabouts biding their time. I think they have a longer development cycle planned because they see Austria and the specific requirements of Austria as being uh, much more of a one-off requirements compared to a lot of the other tracks yeah. where they will be. So, so, so they might yeah. be whole, yeah. So we're looking at like a bit of like a Monza or a Monaco, and 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 then from a kind of fan point of view, we're looking at it like we do with Australia, perhaps, where we look at Australia and you go, yeah, that's the result, but that's not an indicator of how the rest of the flyaways are going to go, how the start of the European leg is going to go. So, yeah, we've got to be wary of like a false Red Bull dawn. But a Red Bull uh, ring is a a seven-corner track. Now, I don't want to oversimplify what that does, but does that mean they have to to run less wing because there's a lot of straights on there? Is is this quite a... uh, Catman, is this quite a Monzery type downforce situation? Well, the one other issue that comes into that actually is the height above sea level as well, because it has a lot thinner. Ah. Um, so you're not going to get the really thin wings that you get at Monza. Um, but uh, it, it does have more simple corners. There's a lot of big stops, which makes for great racing. Um, and that's traditionally why Red Bull have done well here because of the height, because they don't have to rely so much on their power unit. And... Uh, the downforce is good enough to be able to, to run reasonable wing levels. It's eight corners uh, at the Austrian Grand Prix. Curse you, chat room, with your knowledgeable and timely intervention. But I got to say, is it a corner if I don't have to lift or break? Oh, Brad, is it a corner if we don't have to lift or break? So it's basically is Orouge now no longer a corner in Matt's definition. Yeah, it's still a corner, but it's just <laughs> a flat out corner. That's fine. Fair enough. Uh, Brad, well, we've got you here. Uh, what what is the um, the difference when you're you're running with a you know you're used to running with how high downforce then you're in a, a car where suddenly they start stripping wing away? Uh, I think we accidentally used one of your setups in iRacing, racing and you're a maniac and you like to drive with like zero wing. Uh, so just a little insight into the, the differences of driving between those kind of setups. Well, first of all, I don't I don't think I do like driving with zero wing. Okay, well, um, I like compared to me, whatever. <laughs> Whatever compromise um, works out best for the lap time. So, yeah, the differences are you just can't lean on the car as much in 
in the same corner, if that makes sense. So if you've got a 90 degree corner um, that you could take it, I don't know, say a hundred miles per hour with your high downforce setup, you just have to go through it slower on your low, low downforce setup and just be prepared for less front grip, less rear grip at different times. Um, exits of corners don't tend to be that much different because obviously there's no downforce acting on the car at low speeds, but you just have to be mindful in the high speed corners that when you turn the wheel, um, you're not going to have the same response as you would with your higher downforce package. But you know, these drivers are so used to this through their hundreds of races all the way up from the junior formula. It's not, not that much different for them to work out. So what do the drivers tend to prefer? So I've got a hypothetical situation. Uh, there's you and I, we're racing together and it's the lap time. There's, there's nothing in it. Uh, tire wear isn't an issue. As a driver, what do you prefer? As a, as a rookie, uh, you know, when we've been doing the Formula Renault stuff on iRacing, I'm like, can I have all the downforce I can possibly have before I start to become like a moving chicane? So for you, what feels better? Yeah, of course, the most possible downforce will feel better until you were to suggest to that driver, well, if we went for a bit, little bit less downforce, your lap time could be say, maybe three tenths quicker. And then that will be the deciding factor. So in terms of enjoyment of just purely driving the car and you know, and, and just driving it around without it being as difficult um, as it could be, maximum downforce, great. The moment that there's an advantage to be gained by running less downforce, then you keep doing that until you get to the point where it then becomes a disadvantage. So the drivers would, their personal enjoyment comes behind the the race result, obviously. So, All right, Matt, let's uh, move along. Let's move down the grid uh, a little bit. I think we're only really looking at a couple of teams in, in, in detail. The rest we can kind of fly through a little while. Renault, not particularly famous for fantastic in-season development in years of late. Is there anything to suggest it's going to be better for Ocon and Ricardo when they step into the yellow car? Well, actually, uh, you'll be happy to know that they're planning to bring a triple development whammy a la Red Bull and Mercedes. They have been at full blast at the factory and they're showing up with all of their toys. So this is going to be kind of a big test for them because of the midfield teams, they are the only ones. And now I know they're a manufacturer, but technically they're still midfield based on their times. That's what I mean, folks. Uh, of the midfield teams, they're the only ones touting bringing a high level of development to this first race. Yeah. So it's going to be, I think, kind of important. They have a new driver uh, for them to do very well with their development, because if it doesn't work as planned, it could be it could really be detrimental to their season. They may not have left themselves any place to go with the amount of time they have to make adjustments. I think they're bringing upgrades as as well, purely because um, Cyril said uh, this week, I think it was reported in Autosport, um, that their card last year, and I think it's a direct quote, was very, very, very bad. So they had to do something to try and get it to, to compete with that McLaren that could well be uh, making even bigger strides this year. I think we by that raising point. Well, well you, you've 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 definitely hit the same wavelength as I have, Matt, because I think it's definitely worth looking at those guys as a bundle because that is definitely the the battle. I'm really looking forward to to kind of that division, if you like, division two, one point five uh, this year between uh, Renault, McLaren, and um, Force India. Oh, sorry, Force India. Gosh, gosh, uh, Racing Point. From a development development point of view, I. It may be the fact that Racing Point's advantage has actually already been lost. Their advantage being that they could come to the circuit on the flyaways and the early Grand Prix 
with this ready-to-go package, proven aero package, by the way, out of the box, ready to go. Now, when it comes to uh, four months later and we get to the Austrian Grand Prix and all the works teams have been sat there developing, have Racing Point been doing that or have they been going, well, well, actually, we want to use that one that's out of the box still. The more we tinker, the, the, you know, the, the, hard, the harder it is to tinker with, a, with an already completed package, if that makes any sense. Yes, that does make perfect sense. But also, uh, I had heard that uh, they were going to have one single upgrade this year, okay. which I'm well, assuming well, is when year. Mercedes have done a bit of a development. Yeah, the whole year. So I suppose oh. that's once Mercedes have done some development, they can sneak in the factory and get the photocopier out again. Well, see, Matt, I don't think that's... Th- I think that, if that's true, that kind of... That takes the shine off of that concept. And so the proof of concept would have been made to the shareholders and the investors if they'd have gone and got a, a cheeky podium at Bahrain. Uh, they'd come out of the box and just, you know, suddenly they were third randomly. That all the buzz would be done. All the shareholders would be, yes, here, take all the rest of the monies. You have completely proven your point. But now if we turn up in Austria and they're a solid fifth or sixth... It makes the point somewhat less appealing. Uh, Brad? I, I was actually just going to follow that up with another question on this topic, um, which was that it, we mentioned that the, the development's frozen or they're supposed to use the same cars again for 2021. But does that mean they have to do all their development in 2020 and then they're not allowed to have any upgrade packages next year? Like what constitutes the same car? Is it just the, the chassis homologation? Are they allowed to keep developing aero? Matt's nodding at me, so I'm... Assuming that's the case. <laughs> that was my understanding. It's chassis modifications. Uh, they want to keep the basic car uh, survival cell and stuff like that the same. And the reason that anyone is being allowed to change anything is because McLaren is having a switch of power unit, which entailed them having to make modifications to their chassis. Um, and so they decided to be fair. They would allow everyone to make two basic changes to the chassis. McLaren has to use theirs to install their new power unit. Other teams will have some freedom to go with that. So aside from chassis changes, they can just still, as normal, upgrade the aero through a season, as many update packages as they as they fancy. And that's the same next year. So actually, I had in my mind that this was going to be very static car development over the next year and a half. But, but if they want to, if they're not putting all their eggs in 2022, they can just continue this current development. So the cars can change through the next season and a half. Yeah, that's correct. I don't know how much development they'll be allowed to do between the end of the season and the start of the next season, like between testing, but in-season development hasn't been banned. That said, a lot of teams will have to be focused on 2022 starting next year. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. At the moment, they don't know when this season is going to finish. So we have no idea how long the off season will actually be. And they could run a winter series, for example. Uh, at the moment, we've only got the next eight races. So who knows how long that's going to be. And this brings us to uh, the midfield minus Renault, which is bringing uh, developments for a couple of, a planned developments for a couple of its races to Austria. Partly, as you say, because Immutable admits their car was kind of uh, trash last year. Uh, but also because they need to impress if they want to continue to be funded their board, which, you know, all car manufacturers are struggling with sales and money right now. So they need to do a good job to keep the sponsors on board, to keep the corporate board happy. So I think it's going to be a big test for them if they're able to overcome those deficiencies. And as I said, if they've chosen a wrong path, like Williams is a classic example, Williams chose the wrong path, and then and then it's a dead end. You lose a whole season. So I think they've got really a lot on the line, although they are careful to draw the line at comparing themselves to themselves. They're not claiming they will be best of the midfield yet. <laughs> they are just saying, we expect to be significantly better than last year. So they're comparing themselves to the lowest possible bar. Apologies to the Williams fans listening, of which I include myself among those uh, it might not be Williams for much longer. However, there is a brand new livery package. And Catman, I know you're our resident Williams super fan and you turn up to karting with a replica cart covers pantsuit, which is unforgivable. It's just, it's the worst. You and your team, Helmet Club, by the way, thanks for putting that all over our karting output. <laughs> uh, Helmet Club, turn up, there's, there's, there's two of you in replica kits, one of you in a Williams Martini uh, cover cover pants, which I have to admit, it, it is a cool, it is a cool uh, set of overalls, and then the other one in uh, in the Ferrari something something from something year because it's always the same. Yeah, and our third member has now got a replica Red Bull suit, so uh, we're we're at the full uh, own suit winners. See, uh, the guy in the Ferrari suit, he seems like a really nice guy, but I spent the entire time on commentary suggesting that he'd committed crimes. Because I just instantly took that kind of... That's the kind of fanboyism that makes Missed Apex Podcast what it is. But uh, the Williams livery, I have to say, I am exactly whelmed by the Williams livery. They could not have done a more middle-of-the-road job. It's fine. There's nothing overly offensive about it. How, how do you feel, apart from the lack of sponsors? I think that's a that's a perfect summary. They basically just took uh, the previous livery, took the red rocket off, and then that was it. 
it's always a bad sign when you have to start writing your own name on the car. Um, I think the front wing and a couple of other places just say Williams Racing, and that is that's not a good look. It's not quite as bad as the HRT car a few years ago. We said, this could be you. Please advertise with us or we're going to go under again. No, they didn't do that. No. They, did, they, they did. I don't remember Genuinely that. did. They said, this could be you. Like a bus. Your name here. Yeah, it was, yeah. Like they do First on name, buses. Name. Oh my God, your advert could be here. That is, that. Well, okay. Well, you know, fair enough. They were doing what they had to do. And if they value their advertising so much and advertise the advertising space, what better advert for how much you value your advertising space, but to advertise for advertising space on where your advertising space would be. I guess that's, that's the logic behind it. Uh, Brad, I, I've said the term for what drivers wear wrong so often I've forgotten which one is correct. Race suits. Race suit. Okay. And overalls as well. You can say overalls. Yeah, you can say that. Yeah, race overalls or race suit. Why do you get so offended when I call them coveralls? Like you genuinely hate me for that. I think I'm now immune to that. I don't, it did used to offend me massively. I've heard you say it so many times now, and I appreciate now you're doing it ironically, so it's absolutely fine. But yeah, coveralls. Oh, when you when you, you were using that term just because you didn't know the difference, that was like a punch to the gut. Gut punch. The chat room is suggesting racing costume perhaps should be the correct nomenclature. Yay, racing costume. That's my new one. Woohoo, I'm so happy. But yes, obviously the, the, the problem with the Williams livery really is it is symptomatic of bigger, deeper problems. And the problems that they've always denied, to be fair, you know, turning up late to testing in 2019, that was not a good sign. They denied that was due to financial reasons. So clearly, you know, Rocket, for whatever reason, have not seen it as a commercially viable thing to continue with or they couldn't make the payments or Williams reneged on something. I guess we don't know the details, but it's it's not a good sign. Yeah, so actually uh, Williams terminated the contract with Rocket because Rocket have actually signed the deal with Mercedes to sponsor oh. them as of this weekend. Oh, I see. Okay, well, that's even more awkward. Uh, so what we're looking at is a Williams team that is now really desperately looking for uh, for for investment, looking perhaps I, I gather for a potential investment investor or an owner. Currently, they own a fifty one percent share, uh, but as Joe was pointing out on Tuesday, they could always sell uh, shares but still keep a controlling stock. Not a businessman, don't really understand how that works. But one of the players to come on the scene is is uh, is uh, Nissani. Who right? Who knows the most about Nissani here? Who can give us the lowdown? Uh, go on then, Catman. Give us give us the lowdown on, on this potential driver. Did I get the name right? I think so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So who's his, who's his who's his rich backer? So oh, I'm not sure about that, but his father was a businessman who was uh, is very rich, and he was the first Israeli driver. Um, he did do a practice session back in Hungary in 2005, driving for Minardi. He he wasn't the best, shall we say. He he was six point eight seconds slower than his teammate. <laughs> what? Um, well, say those numbers again, because they that didn't register. So six point eight seconds slower than Christian Albers. <laughs> what, what sort of era? What era are we talking here? This was two thousand and five. Two thousand and five. Oh, God, that's, that's so quite recent. Alonso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a huge gap. Um, he also spun the car and then he couldn't remove the steering wheel. So they had to uh, drag it back with him sitting in it, steering in it because he couldn't work out how to get rid of it. That hurts, Matt. To be fair, the problem with the car was that it had too much downforce. Yeah, yeah he actually complained about too much grip. The, the Minardi, let's, let's remember, <laughs> the Minardi had too much downforce for him. 
Uh, right, okay. Brad, is that a real thing? Uh, Can you have too much grip? Um, was he a hundredth of a second off pole at Monza? Because no. if not, I don't think people normally complain about the having too much grip. Yeah, this um so this chap Roy, I unfortunately I don't wanna I don't wanna kind of judge him too soon, but I was speaking to um to our other Chris earlier on WhatsApp and he was telling me that he has won a few races and he won them back in Formula Renault three point five, um, which stopped quite a long time ago. So his he doesn't have a lot of current racing success. I think he's in GP two for or sorry, Formula Two. For a year or two, um, yeah. scoring one point whilst his teammate was on the podium. That's correct. Yeah, he got a tenth at Spa, but that's literally the only result he got. He he got four race wins in Formula Renault 3.5 back in 2017, 2016. So, However, he is being touted as world champion with Williams, I see. Right. And that is the new story that you linked to me, Brad. Um, it is planetf1.com that I'm looking at at the moment, and it is Canadian billionaire uh, Sylvan Adams is backing Israeli driver Roy Nassani with the goal of making him world champion with Williams. So this is the kind of, you know, ambition they're coming into it with. It feels naive, Brad. Uh, You're a little younger than me, but I don't know if you remember the the Scotland World Cup team, World Cup squad, just declaring outright, having never been beyond the first round of a World Cup tournament or international tournament, declaring that they were definitely going to win the World Cup coming home three games later. It, It has got that kind of vibe about it. All I'm going to say is this Canadian backer of Roy Nissani is exactly the kind of person you want to meet as a marketing director person at a Formula One team. You want to meet this guy. He's confident his his man is going to win the championship. Come and spend the money with us. We'll make it happen. It sounds like a very familiar story with a Canadian backer saying that their driver is going to win the championship. Ah, but this, this one is not familial, as it were. This one looks to be alongside more like... Um, more like along the Perez lines where they're like, well, we want a Mexican driver. So, you know, Mexican billionaire giving it the backing. Uh, the gentleman in question, Sylvan Adams, uh, I believe is originally from Israel. Uh, forgive uh, forgive me if I've got that wrong, but definitely one of the aims is to have Roy Nassani, you know, driving with the Israeli flag and bringing that kind of national pride to F1. So there's a lot of, you know, motivation behind this driver. But Brad, those credentials of 35 uh, I mean, that's that's not that impressive, is it? That's This is not someone who's coming in and you go, they've set the world on fire. Let's see what they can do. If he'd won those four races in, in a category, obviously just below Formula One, which is what Formula Renault 3.5 was pretty much back then, kind of on, on a par roughly with GP2 at the time. If that was really recent and it was last season, he won those four races in that season, he'd be a pretty credible driver for next year in a kind of mid to lower team. Um, but that's quite a long time ago. And I don't think he's, shown a lot of success since then in anything so i wouldn't say they're they're particularly impressive no and as far as i'm aware he didn't actually even race in 2019 formula Renault three and a half was the uh, series that carlos Sainz won before he graduated so it is a a bona fide really excellent series well therefore uh, that is then confirmed Uh, that is the next canadian uh, off of the conveyor belt. So, uh, what what flag does Roy Nassani fly under? Uh, Israeli flag? Is he also he's of Canadian nationality? Is that right? No, it, Israeli no, it nationality. Is, it is just oh, the okay. Israeli. You've, uh, uh, unfortunately, he's got a few few hurdles to climb before he even gets in the car, though, because okay. he does. Uh, I know he's going to be doing practice sessions and stuff, but actually, he's the development driver for Williams. I think he's fourth in line to the throne if somebody from Williams has to take a 
uh, a sneak out, for example, you've got Jamie Chadwick, you've got uh, Dan Tickton and Jack Aitken as well, um, who are, I, as far as I'm aware, significantly more qualified for the position. Wait a minute, have Williams gone a bit sauber with all their drivers, Matt? That's, that's a sauber level amount of drivers. Uh, it's the Carltonborn rule. Any team <laughs> with that many drivers... He's in yeah, trouble. You get the oh, yes. that's a shame. I tell you what, we're gonna we're gonna move on to towards looking at some of the the driver battles and I think the F one battles that people are looking forward to. We're looking towards uh, race day, but I want to give a special shout out. I'm going to be very careful with the pronunciation here to uh, Mareka, who was our six six hundredth patron. Matt, wow, yeah. how many? Six hundred. There are varying levels, obviously, on on Patreon. You can come in at the kind of $1.99 level, $1.99 for around six shows during a normal season. You'll get an ad-free feed and you'll be contributing to the cause, uh, to the cause of us being able to keep doing this. And you can come in at the $5 fee uh, level, which uh, is the most popular level by far. You can come in, join our Slack group and get some of the extra podcasts that me and Matt do during the, the regular season. But with 600 patrons... We have literally survived this off-season. The ad revenue died. This show could easily have been overtaken by other freelance work and demands of eating food. But uh, it's purely down to the patrons that we are still here, still pumping. And in fact, I would say we are thriving. And I'm, I'm so happy with what we've achieved so far. We have opportunities looming, especially for 2021. Uh, obviously, press options for 2020 are pretty restricted, Matt. But for 2021 the patrons could really put us in a position to be able to take those opportunities when they come. I am delighted and humbled by the support we have gotten from this community. And I'm amazed at their knowledge and just how friendly they are. They're you know, all right, aren't they? They're not bad. They're not a bad bunch in our Slack group. It's, um, yeah, I try not to think about it too much or else I might actually get anxious and nervous and, and think that I have to do a good job instead of just being myself they did not sign up uh, for us, you know, doing anything different to what we're doing now. So they must love us for all our sins with any luck. And we love them too. I don't buy anything without posting it in the Slack group first, going, hey, should I buy this thing and get experts coming back? I did a survey of what every all of our Slack group do for a living. Uh, out of 600, I think 572 of them are actually coders. So, you know, computer stuff, we're completely sorted, Matt. But if you want to join our patrons and help us not only survive... Uh, but also thrive. I am feeling incredibly uh, bullish. I am very much head down. I want to make Mist Apex a thing. I want to make Mist Apex a name within F1 Media. And I think we're going to do things in the right way. If you want to help us do that, patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex, or you can go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash tip jar if you want to chuck me and Matt a, a more casual sum perhaps for a, a pint or a latte. Matt, let's move on to our race preview. We have got loads of, of battles uh, up and down the grid, and I asked our fine Twitter followers this time, I turned to Twitter and asked them what battles they were looking forward to the most. But I might surprise my quest, my uh, my panel by having a, a quick scoot around and see what battles they are looking for the most. Uh, if we go to Catman, probably more obvious, you're looking for Williams to not be dead last. Yeah, that would be nice, or at least kind of near the back of the field, although I don't have an awful lot oh of Oh my gosh, that. that is, do you know how depressing what you just said is? 
you didn't say you said to get near the back of the field. Like Williams yeah. are so far back that you don't even consider where they are to be the back of the field. The back of the field is some ethereal, nearly unobtainable place ahead of them. Yeah, yeah it's it's almost a different division at the moment. My my actual battle that I'm looking forward to seeing most is Carlos Sainz versus Lando Norris because they they made a big deal about uh, Lando beating Carlos in qualifying uh, last year by by one score, but that didn't tell the whole pitch because Carlos had a lot of problems in qualifying and in in the points he resoundingly beat Lando, um, and Lando's got a lot of hype about him. I think he's brilliant, but he really needs to to pick it up and actually try and you know, put some put some uh, put some bruises on Carlos this year. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, he gets a bit of a pass in his rookie year. But, you know, Brad, I remember you saying to me about two, three years ago when we were watching Lando coming up through the junior formulae and you said that you didn't think there was a better prepared driver for Formula One. How do you think that's that's shaken out? Do you stand by that? Yeah, I'd say so. I um, I still think that he's he's got one of the best CVs I've ever seen. It was only missing the Formula Two championship win. And um, and unlike a lot of drivers, he didn't then kind of stay on and do the extra year to win it or the extra four years for some people. Um, so I'd say his second place in it, what was effectively his rookie year in Formula 2 is as good as some other people's championship wins. Um, so yeah, I think he's got ah. an awesome CV. Uh, yeah, because you know, yeah. if you stay on with the best team and he was also with a team that was quite fresh. I think Carlin were pretty new to Formula 2. So yeah. it, he didn't have an easy run. Obviously he had... Um, good crop of drivers against him. Anyway, yeah, I still believe he was extremely well prepared. And I think we've yet to see the best of him in Formula One. Uh, Catman, you're, you, I forget that you're quite a uh, connoisseur of the, the junior series. Uh, there's, you know, what Brand was alluding to there was when drivers don't win and they stay on and they kind of tend to stay on until they win. Does it sometimes devalue those championships for you or, or every bit as valid? Oh, massively. Uh, I call it doing a Palmer, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, I love the guy, but uh, he's great a great commentator, pundit. And ve- I'm sure very fast. I'm sure faster than us around a go Much faster track. than me, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he, he spent four years to, to get his title. Um, Pastor Maldonado got a few years in before he, he got anywhere. So, um, and those guys are not, are not slow by any means. So if you get there and you know, Lando was doing very well, and then I think the McLaren situation, I think, may have distracted him a bit. Well, that was the excuse anyway. But he did get beaten by George Russell, to be fair. And uh, George is, is a pretty excellent driver. He, he trounced Kubica, although I, I know that there were extenuating circumstances there. Yeah. But there, there was nobody saying that, that it was because Kubica was slow, put it like that. Well, oh no, no one's saying it's because Robert Kubica is a slow driver, but they might say it's because that is not the peak Robert Kubica that was racing against George Russell. Older, obviously a massive injury and a lot of time out of the the sport and essentially coming back to a very, very different kind of sport. So I don't know. You see, Brad, you know, those two drivers came up together. You watched them, you know, up into F2 as well. If we're we're saying that Lando Norris only came second to George Russell, uh, that's that's still still good. I mean, we're, we're rating George Russell still highly. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously they weren't teammates. They weren't in the same team. So you can't completely directly compare their two performances. Um, I think George has a, a kind of an air of real confidence about him at the moment, doesn't he? Uh, I hope he knows something we don't. I hope he has. Um, he's been told about his future pathway um, and, you know, out of Williams because 
he's oh. I don't know. There's something about George Russell that I think he's he's going to be very special. I think the thing that he knows that we don't is possibly how beatable Latifi is. So if I'm George Russell right now, a young man in my career, I'm not in a massive hurry to to rush off to Mercedes because I've just beaten a very popular guy. Robert Kubitz I've dealt with all the uh, abuse that came with that I've easily beaten him like a million to nil in qualifying Matt and now if you can come and get another scalp uh, in the form of Latifi it's a bit like heavyweight boxing once we see a driver getting beaten by his teammate we think less of him his market value goes down a lot so if you are George Russell's manager Let's keep, let's keep, I'm not calling Latifi or Kibitza a bum. I'm, uh, this is a boxing thing, but like, keep going fighting bums. Don't take your title shot straight away. The worst thing you could do for a George, uh, young George Russell now is put him as the teammate of Lewis Hamilton. That is correct. You want to give him time and build confidence and let him get skills in a place where it's not going to matter as much. But I do feel compelled to point out that the only point scored at Williams last year was scored by Kubica and not Williams. Oh, so. that's the worst argument. That Brad, tell him why. Uh, the only podium scored at Baku the year that Lance Stroll did it was by Lance Stroll for Racing Point, but I still don't think he was the best driver in that team. Um, I'm trying to think of other, other examples. Yeah, that was such a freak result that um, I don't think it quite fit the, um, the pattern through the rest of the season. I do, just whilst we're on this topic, I do think George is at risk having Latifi as a teammate of uh, of falling into this. Well, yeah, of course he beat his teammate. He's only ever had easy teammates to beat. We already know George is better than Latifi. His record in Formula 2 shows that anyway. Um, I, I think he needs to come up against someone that we consider a medium to strong driver in the same car for, for everyone to then go, yeah, okay, he's definitely really good. Well, okay, but he's he's still like a, a real young bloke. So like, look at the opposite side where you've got Albon and Lando Norris. Albon could have his reputation destroyed by getting soundly thumped by Verstappen in a very Verstappen team. Lando Norris could lose cred uh, losing to a vastly more experienced experience Carlos Sainz and it not really be a true reflection of either one of those talents. Catman. I'll just look at what uh, Alonso did to Stoffel Vandorn, who uh, I think he eclipsed Lewis Hamilton's junior career and was meant for incredible things. But, uh, Alonso beat him 21-0 to zero in qualifying and that was him out the door. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm happy with with George Russell as uh, yes I know slightly British bias I do I I want the British guys to do well slightly British bias I that George Russell I'm happy with him to go beat Latifi and then perhaps get his medium shot then perhaps get him in a a racing point up against Lance Stroll or something like that who is who as we know is brilliant because he got the podium in in Baku and finished sixth once in Canada when everyone drove off so that proves it that proves he's brilliant by Matt's logic. There you go, Matt. Done. Uh, <laughs> yeah? Driver battles. Points over qualifying. I don't know. No, I don't think the argument was ever that Kubica was actually faster than Russell. But the point is, we have lots of Kubica fans, and he is, and still is, an amazing driver. And having scored that point is always worth mentioning, in my humble opinion. I think you're right. I think we can't take away the glory. Uh, he didn't get the... The driver's prayed that I think he probably deserved for that effort of fighting all the way back to F1. Uh, so maybe that point uh, is his victory for that year. It's quite like a cool running story. 
you know, finishing seventh. That was in that one run. That was the victory. Uh, let's look at some more driver battles, Matt. Uh, we tweeted out uh, which battles are you looking forward to the most. Perry Brown said, the battle I'm looking forward to the most is my family versus my attention. I enjoyed that tweet very much. James Cassell, my overhyped expectations versus the quality of the actual racing. And that is a huge, huge danger that we've been waiting all this time. The first race doesn't match expectations. And then, you know, F1 fandom, F1 Twitter just gets WTF one uh, after like after the French Grand Prix, oh, we haven't we haven't had uh, we haven't had a good race in two weeks. We 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 need to riot. So that is a danger, Matt. But I I just think that the thrill of a Grand Prix weekend, even without you know a full on demolition derby and a Sauber winning from the back, I, I don't see how this could be a bad weekend. We've been so long without. We've lost a frame of reference. I think people will just be so happy to see live drivers on an actual track on their tv or a computer that it's just going to be a win although you didn't mention my favorite battle which is me versus f1 tv <laughs> uh, brad get in with your point and then we'll, we'll have a deep dive into what's happening with the f1 tv i think people are just going to be really impressed with the graphics and the um you know and how realistic the physics look so um so yeah i'm looking forward to that as well <laughs> so you mean because we've been in this virtual world for so long and a sign of my perhaps suboptimal parenting is that i, I was out walking the kids in a field and i said to them guys look at this beautiful scenery look at the the hills and the farms this, isn't this wonderful and my daughter turned to me catman and she went yeah dad it's so beautiful it's like a green screen zoom background i was like, oh okay we need to go out more did you point out that she could see it in 3D as well? Oh, no, I never thought to do that. I never thought, <laughs> close one eye, close the other way. Camera one, camera two. I should have Wayne's world her, Matt. Should have done that. I think Matt might have frozen, but okay. I would just like to okay. um, <laughs> just to point out that some graphics that we might not be too enthralled about are the, the new graphics on screen, um, which Formula One are going to be bringing in. So I think there's some extra um, overlays and things which we haven't had in the past. Uh, I don't know whether you've seen this on no, Twitter or these photographs. Can you describe describe uh, to our audio listeners what we might expect out of these new graphics? I'm not 100% sure, but I've certainly seen people taking the mickey out of them, um, making loads of memes, uh, effectively like little pop-up, um, what do you call it? Um, when it's, uh, what's that word where you have something on a phone and you can show your phone the picture and it's like something reality. Augmented, reality. augmented, augmented reality. reality. Yeah, I think it's like that where you'll get these little graphics attached to the cars that will say like gained five places or something to that effect. And people were taking the mickey and using all sorts of funny stats. Oh, um, I don't know, page. Catman. I think I think once you have a graphic following a car, it it's, it takes something out of the reality of it. Like I I don't want that. I don't mind. I, I want all the graphics I see to just be clearly part of the TV broadcast. You know, not 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 hovering over a car. Yeah, the ones that I've seen look like they've got a little line to the car with a little score saying it's got like uh, this is it's good six point nine down the straights. It's three point six in the corners, and you know the driver is a three rating. You know, so and that, arbitrary sort of... arbitrary tire wear ratings and things like tire yeah. wear high or 50 percent so you can't possibly know that and and it might not even be that relevant the tires might still have 90 percent grip at 50 percent wear or whatever so it's all kind of seems a little bit gimmicky but 
Yeah, it's kind of taking away the commentator's job. You know, that's the commentator's job to give us that that insight and be like the, you know, the, the, like the Crofty is like the eponymous F1 fan watching it along and getting excited. And then you've got Martin Brundle to go, oh, no, no, no. The reason he appears to be catching is because they're on different strategies. I, I just don't think, Catman, I don't think the guy doing the graphics in real time is actually going to be as good as Martin Brundle or even Paul DeResta just telling us and explaining the situation to us. No, I, I totally agree. Unfortunately, it's based on big data because it's provided by AWS or Amazon. Oh, Web is services. that the same it's, ones uh, who did the the tires, the tire graphics? Yes. Which exactly. were nonsense. They're nonsense. And also it's it's the ones where you have the predicted gap at the pit stops, which takes all oh, of the fun out of knowing really when they're going to come out in front or not. And the overtake percentage, like, oh, he's got an 80% chance of overtaking him. It's utter rubbish that's and so, in the bin that's so american matt it's all your fault it's all really american that hello to our american viewers who are the majority of our audience i withdraw yeah there's a lot that can go wrong with the kind of graphics they're proposing but i did take a look at the article and see what was going on with it and i will admit i'm sort of interested in the timing gaps they're measuring during different speed corners i'm not so attached to the numerical ranking um, but like they say, oh, you know, Hamilton loses, you know, uh, loses 15 hundredths in medium speed corners relative to Vettel. Well, well, that's an interesting piece of information to have. But he gains, you know, two tenths in high speed corners, for example. I, I think that that's sort of fun information to yeah. have. Stuff like that that's coming directly from GPS plots and things like that they have access to has a little bit more utility to me. By just saying, oh, you know, uh, in, in this corner, Toro Rosso is a 9.5 and Mercedes is a 9.3 seems like I could do without that personally. Okay. And in the chat there, Mike has a pretty good suggestion, which is that I should have live ratings over the top of like everybody's head. So when Matt's is like a nine, when he's doing news, he brings up tires and like in real time, it goes down to like eight seven six along with the live chat room numbers by the way when you do when you do that uh you know and when brad has to chase his cat around during the you know the beginning of the live stream and that can ding 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 like what's that what's it called pointless <laughs> when it's going all the way down to zero yeah okay we could do that um this is this feels like mass tinkering and i predict strongly that there's going to be a massive backlash and it will be pretty much more or less abandoned. Another gimmick that's coming up, uh, Catman, that you might like is that, uh, and this tweet was only pointed out to me by Summers, who said the the battle he was looking forward to, this is Matthew Summerfield, uh, motorsport.com, said uh, he's looking forward to the battle between the race directors versus F1 fan cam. I, I dislike this. I dislike the sound of this. Formula One wants to feature... Uh, virtual fans. So you send in your video of you like cheering on Williams, like, yeah, or looking sad. Well, for you, it's like looking sad. Oh, no. And my even already low expectations weren't met. And they like every time like a Williams is on screen, they'll cut to you going, oh, do you remember? Remember the blue and yellow one? Oh, that was a fast. Do you remember the up and down suspension one? Oh, that was a fast one. Back in 1992, I remember the glory days. So, yeah, so your fan cam would just be like wistful reminiscing. But um, mm, this is an awful idea. Uh, The football stadiums have been doing like virtual fan noises, uh, which is creepy, creepy. 
Haven't they put pictures of life-size cardboard cutouts of fans I, in the I, seats I, I well? believe Leeds United did that as a reward to their season ticket holders that didn't pull their money out of the club, printed out a cardboard copy of them and put that in the seat. So perhaps people who have paid for previous tickets can set in cardboard cutouts because as Summers, Summers points out, you know, the race director does love to cut away to the fans. Yeah, I, I initially actually thought that, that fan cam was going to be a, a very lonely cameraman just sitting in a grandstand by himself going, meow. <laughs> well, no, he's in your house. He comes to your house and gets your live reaction. <laughs> Trumpets. Well, you know, an opera house recently presented their first live opera to a, a theatre full of plants. So I, I would have preferred that, I think, to fan cam. I get they want to let people at home be virtually involved with the race and you can submit your little video for your team. And like, I get it, but I'm going to cry when we don't see the magnificent overtake of signs on Norris or Ocon or Ricciardo or vice versa. If you're Australian, because Um, we're busy looking at somebody on a big jumbotron, (laughs) you know, saying something funny and supported their team instead of the actual racing. Yeah, no, it it just sounds like a horrendous idea because you'll just get people with loads of banners in their bedroom, like I kind of look at the moment, but just uh, just kind of go, yay, go down. Film, filmed on a potato in portrait mode is going to be super cringe. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? It's a, it's a race behind closed doors. We are in extraordinary times. And one of the things I've really liked about this situation, which we would none of us have chosen to be in, is, is watching how people have adapted, how people have changed, and we've seen some of the best sides of human character. I don't think we need to, to shy away from that and pretend we're in normal times. We're in extraordinary times, and let's see how people can adapt to that situation. I'm not a WWE fan, but they just fully were like, yep, we're in an empty auditorium, we don't have the crowd noise, but we're just going to go for it. And they really showed their talent with some of those early uh, wrestling games. I don't, I don't I don't know what wrestling matches wrestling match the wrestling match and they still did all their stuff they still did all the you betrayed me and all the drama and soap opera and just accepted that there wasn't a crowd there so I hope F1 do that you know uh, just accept this is these are the times we're in and I hope the drivers do adapt to that somebody uh, responded to our tweet about who would uh, which battles are you looking forward to Char Santa said Hamilton versus his best fans reflex yeah Hamilton's got nothing to say on podiums now, Chris. Who's he gonna? Who's he gonna? Who's gonna? Oh, they've got the best cardboard. Card, they've got best virtual fans. Yeah, best virtual fans. Thanks to the virtual crowd today. Yeah, exactly. But the best, uh, the best cardboard cutouts. <laughs> it's bad, isn't it? Oh, anyway. But yes, uh, extraordinary times. Um, and I, I hope they just, I hope they just embrace it for for what it is. It's, it's not like anybody's going to be going. Ah, that Austrian GP was rubbish. They couldn't even have people. No, I know. We're in a global pandemic. Well, we we know they can't have people. Yeah, there will still be people saying that, but not us. So, big battles I'm looking forward to. I tell you what, this might be controversial, but I still think the big battle in Formula One that I'm looking to now is still between Lewis Hamilton in his Mercedes and Sebastian Vettel in his Ferrari. So a lot has been made of Leclerc being crowned the new Ferrari guy. I I, I would caution those Leclerc fans to get too excited still a guy in his third season of Formula One, and Sebastian Vettel is still a four-time world champion, veteran of a billion Formula One races. This is the thing, Brad. As a driver, he's still quick. He's still dangerous. It is just the mistakes that have that have held him back. 
if he puts a season together, now he knows he's not fighting for his Ferrari place anymore. It's gone. It's gone. Now he's got a full season of just him and his pace. He can relax into it. If he stops making those errors, he's still the second most dangerous driver car package on the grid, surely. Um, it's an interesting viewpoint. I I don't quite see it as he's he can now relax because he's not fighting for his Ferrari seat. He's fighting for his legacy. He's fighting for what people think of him going forward and whether or not he, I don't know whether he's got eyes on, on another seat in another team or whether he's happy to just, um, to just retire at the end of this year. But yeah, I still think he's got a ridiculously fast teammate who's on a high long contract, no pressure really, and can just afford to enjoy himself. And, um, and he's got a lot to prove after the last few years. So I, I kind of feel the opposite to you. So Brad, give us your input on this one. So, Vettel kind of went downhill after the regulations change when the rear end of the car was less important. So obviously he won in the double diffuser era and that sort of thing where he was unstoppable. Nowadays, that's not quite as big an area. So other drivers have come to the fore. So I personally don't see Vettel Leclerc changing because that hasn't changed at all. He can't build that car around himself. So Brad, what do you think on... Uh, on that yeah I don't see any reason for the pattern that we saw last year really and with Vettel uh, not necessarily Vettel versus Leclerc but with Vettel the previous couple of years he seemed like he's having to try really really hard um, and like that whether that's because the car wasn't good enough to to just take the fight to Mercedes and he felt like he should but last year his teammate just did really a better job than him um, I don't see that changing either. Uh, the car, if the cars had dramatically changed this year, maybe there was a totally different concept. Then I, I'd kind of reserve judgment, but I would probably put money on Leclerc being the um, the driver who comes out on top in that pairing this year. And the overdriving is where all the mistakes are coming from. So we'll see. We'll see. I I still think that is the the big ticket battle, uh, and that's the one I'm looking to. And I I still think Leclerc's got a lot to prove. Obviously, there's a hype train, and obviously you've got to say, wow. Now, Ferrari seem to have seen something to give him that five-year contract and put all their chips in such a young driver, Matt. But, you know, maybe, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe they don't see him as the most amazing new hope. Maybe they just saw that Vettel wasn't the way to go forward. I mean, they brought in Sainz. Sainz is not a mug. Sainz is not an out-and-out number two driver. They might be undecided on Leclerc still. And there's nothing to say that Sainz doesn't come in instantly become the number one driver and Leclerc get put on a longer contract. Ferrari have put their top drivers on long-term contracts into a number two position before. Nothing is is a given. Well, it's correct. Nothing is ever a given. But I think Leclerc is pretty much a given nonetheless. I mean, you look at his performance out of the box in Ferrari. I think that Sainz will be an excellent pairing with him. I think that Sainz might have the ability to take the win on the off day. Uh, But I have to admit that it's a bad place for Vettel to be starting his season if you really want to see Hamilton versus Vettel. And this is like, I understand if we're talking season long, I get where you're coming from. But maybe I was confused because this was under race preview. So I did a little bit of research. Oh, you know, winners you know how of I the race. Feel, you know how I feel about research. Go on then. 
uh, counting backwards from 2019, Verstappen, Verstappen, Bottas, Hamilton, Rosberg, Rosberg. So I don't think it's going to be Hamilton's or Vettel's race, (laughs) if I'm being honest. And I read a quote. It turns out, do you know who's, of all the drivers on the grid, whose track this is the absolute dead favorite of? Aquaman. Leclerc. Ah, okay. So I think if we're talking Austria... A Leclerc-Verstappen battle, which is exactly what we got to see last year, lap 69 of 71, is really what we're thinking might be in the cards this time around. Leclerc did get a uh, the pole position last year and and was doing very well, but was just on a different strategy. So, uh, yeah, the, the Red Bulls definitely are, are up in there this time. I know you'll be shocked, but Ferrari brought him in way too early. If they'd kept him out or used up his tires... I don't think that battle would have ever happened. So once again, the Ferrari strategy department was accidentally, it's because they thought they were racing Mercedes at the time because Verstappen had the terrible start. Remember he broke, he had the terrible start. He bogged down and fell all the way back to like 10th place or whatever, and had to work his way back up. Nobody thought he was really in the race, but because they reacted to Botas early pit stop, because his Mercedes was basically a flame at that point because Mercedes had horrible cooling issues last year. Um, because they reacted to that and covered him off, they left him vulnerable to Verstappen catching him. And he was on like 49 lap old tires relative to Verstappen who had much younger tires. And even at that, the winning move got reviewed by the stewards and (laughs) was just only sort of basically, they said, well, you know, Max wins at his home track. So it's probably not a penalty. (laughs) I forgot that was the Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, I tell you what, guys, uh, someone in the chat room was saying, when is the best time to go and get a beer? I actually asked me to stop the live stream so they could go refresh their drink. Well, now is the time to do it. So I'm going to be completely honest and I'm going to sit here. I'm doing an ad read uh, for a minute or two, be as quick as I can. But I am emotionally invested in this ad read because it is for my wife's business. So uh, we've had some great success lately uh, with my wife putting on virtual choirs. Her normal students have been getting online with her for their normal lessons on Zoom, where they learn how to harmonize with each other, learn proper vocal techniques to sound super awesome, and then, with guidance, record their song at home on video on just a a mobile phone, and then it gets edited into an amazing virtual choir video. And the reaction of the kids and parents has been amazing. They've loved it. They've tried to make their friends jealous about it, shown it off to friends and family. Everyone's really pleased with the end result. So we are now opening this course up uh, above and beyond her current students. And we're offering an internationally available four-day course for your 7 to 16-year-olds to uh, sit in front of one hour a day, 55-minute lessons for four days. And then they get this this video at the end. Look, we know uh, kids are terrible and they have been around more and more during the lockdown. So if you are looking around for options and for courses to sit them in front of, (laughs) <laughs> to just get them out of your way for a second. This is a service that you might find interesting. Go and check it out, mistapexpodcast.com forward slash sing, and you can see the previous video on there and see if your kid fancies being a part of that. They'll learn vocal techniques, performance skills, like the performance skills you'll actually need as a professional performer, basic harmony singing uh, from a highly skilled and vastly experienced vocal coach and performer. I am, of course, uh, biased. But over the last 15 years, I've seen her inspire and entertain so many uh, children, choirs and singing groups. I I have no idea how she is a teacher, but having worked with her as an actual professional musician, I'd say it's got to be worth it. 
she's a, a proper legitimate, you know, professional. She is a vocalist, a pianist, a teacher, a vocal animateur, which is a term I just learned today, uh, with over 20 years experience. So your kid will be learning from someone who has had a genuine career as a performer. She will provide all the instructions to record a video at home using a mobile phone. You don't need any special equipment. And all of the videos are edited together in-house. Well, uh, of course, in shed. So mistapexpodcast.com forward slash sing if you're looking for something to entertain your kids with from June the 13th. And if I'm being frank, as your iRacing opponent, the more students she gets, the better. No, this will vastly interfere with my iRacing practice time. Catman. Uh, there's a great comment from the chat room from Parker Humes who says, look, if Spanner's wife can get Spanners to harmonize, she's a magician. Now, she has had a long-standing opinion that everybody can sing and she just does not like hearing, oh, I can't sing. With me, she has genuinely given up. Uh, but she has like a really good talent as well just for take, because she's a vo- vocal coach, you know, professional musicians will go to her for vocal coaching. She loves turning karaoke singers into proper singers. And I've seen how she does it and a uh, very good one-on-one. These are group lessons but the product you come away with will be very cool. And should it fall to me to point out that obviously the better she does with her students, <laughs> yes, the more enabled the map of Earth becomes? Absolutely. And the more uh, we justify having this shed facility and the, the less resentment she has for me putting all my time and effort into this over the last six years. Thank you for your attention. Driver battles, Bradley Philpot, driver expert. You have been doing so much sim racing during lockdown. You've been everywhere. You've been doing stuff with uh, Alex Brundle, stuff with Full Send Racing. Uh, has it felt like you're just occupying your time, or has it been of value? I've I've actually really enjoyed this time of you know making my simulator better, um, improving my computer, getting to a point where I can just jump in and. And everything works, which has never really been the case in the past. And I've also been very fortunate that we moved house and I now have my own room, which I'm in right now, um, talking to you from the simulator. So yeah, I, I kind of not stopped racing. I've done a lot more racing than I would have done had the season gone ahead as normal. Um, but yeah, uh, sorry, what was the original question? <laughs> I just uh, no, went off on to talk about no, sim racing. You know, I'm just, I'm curious. I'm always curious about your career. I know that you were uh, planning on racing some uh, Lotuses, and you've been out testing. Unfortunately, it was a very, very soggy day as well. Uh, but yeah, I just know the frustration you've had, you know, sitting there chomping at the bit to get back on track. Yeah, so you're right. I'm, I'm going to be racing a Lotus. Thankfully, my season is just delayed rather than nothing's really been cancelled. I'm still doing the oh, same number good. of races as I would have done, just not all the same tracks as I would have done. So yeah, it's going to be a Lotus with a team called British Sports Car Services in the Super GT category um, of uh, an endurance racing series in the UK. Um, very glad to be backed by actually with the company I work for Avon tires. So I'm going to be using some beautiful, fast, sticky development Avon rubber and um, tearing up the UK's tracks. We start in, uh, in August at Silverstone. So looking forward to getting out on, on the nice big Silverstone circuit, hopefully in the sunshine. Avon tires, they get you where you need to go fast as approved by Bradley Philpot. There we go. That's a free ad. That's all right. That'll that'll do that'll do that'll add to your value, won't it? As a yeah, as a team I'm, driver, there we go. I'm sure it will. Let's look at Renault. Uh, well, one ninety nine from uh, Mike Stoner in the live chat. Can Brad go and get his cat so we can all see it? No, that is in the past. We'll never talk about the cat again. Potentially at Renault, one of the most explosive. I would say definitely one of the most explosive potential driver battles because they're both so aggressive. 
Brad. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. And this sounds so strange. I had a dream about Formula One for the first time, like ever, <laughs> okay. last night. And and it was it was at Austria, so I was in the kind of I was in the right place. And the Renaults were up front in the lead top five group fighting with the racing point. So I mean, if that's not if that doesn't prove that something good's going to happen, nothing will. No, I'm really looking forward to um, Ricardo versus Ocon. Ocon's got loads to prove after his time away. Super hungry, and Ricardo. I mean, he's had a good season last year. I'm sure he's not lost much confidence, and he's moving team anyway at the end of the season. So um, he's already got his future kind of sorted out. So I'm really looking forward to that. Trumpets, you're such a big Ocon fanboy. Like we genuinely. Not fell out, but there was genuine animosity when it was Ocon versus Perez uh, racing point. Why Why were you such a fan of the second best driver during that Perez-Ocon partnership? Well, actually, to be fair, I didn't start out as being a fan because his name confused me. I thought it was Spanish, but actually he's French. Ocon. Um, but once once I got over that, uh, it really, it's his origin story, uh, as they call it. Because much like Hamilton, he came from a very middle class at least middle class compared to most of you who wind up in Formula One, middle class in the sense the parents, his parents sold everything they owned to buy a motorhome and traipse him around to races as a junior to enable his career. Um, and so I, I genuinely value uh, when people like that are able to achieve the success because, I mean, th- I just think about the amount of pressure. Like, you know, I mean, Lance Stroll, his parents have invested a lot in him. There's no doubt about that. But his parents had lots to invest in him. They didn't sell their houses and so on and so forth. And so to see someone succeed and be able to deal with that much pressure, but really what sold me on him more than anything else was Drive to Survive. Season one, he did an entire lap of Silverstone with his eyes closed uh, yes. on a sim. And I was like, oh, and just yeah. just the way he drives, it's just so entertaining. And he, he uh, really did kind of remind me of Hamilton in some ways. And that the moment he showed up, he drove as he as if he was as entitled as people who'd been in the sport a long time. And he mm. took he took nothing from anyone. And he's clever enough. And we saw this with the Verstappen incident. I know Verstappen fans hate him to this day for it. But when he met oh, yeah, Verstappen Brazil. at Brazil, that was just like that was just like 3D chess on on, on that circuit. Yeah. It had nothing to do with driving skill, but it's like people who play poker, they're terrible at cards, but they win all the time just because they can play the opponents. So drivers like that are going to come through the system and have, you know, more selection pressure. So I truly believe that Lewis Hamilton is so great because uh, not in spite of the fact that he had to come through, you know, a, a much bigger selection pool. So out of like an F1, F1 driver's kids, you know, there was a pool of like four or five people who you go, well, one of those is going to make it to F1, Rosberg, you know, Brundle, driver's kids who are very fast, have worked very, very hard, but there's a much smaller pool of those. Rosberg was the one to make it. So he's good. He's had to beat off like really, you know, really talented drivers. But Lewis Hamilton's had to be a thousand, you know, a pyramid of a thousand. And Ocon as well. Ocon has had to to be a bigger pool. Of, of drivers to get where he has. So that does give them an inherent advantage. What I don't want to do is I don't want to do down the pressure on drivers like Stroll and Latifi. I'm sure they do, you know, have a lot of familial pressure and the normal sporting pressure as well. I don't want to take anything away from them because if Stroll goes and wins the world championship, if Latifi goes and, and thumps George Russell, that is not because they were rich 
or because they were privileged catman, they took full advantage. My only issue, really, uh, not issue, my only sort of difference between those guys when it comes to pressure is Stroll knows he's going to be the CEO of Stroll Inc. or something when he's older. His life isn't on the line. Young Ocon, growing up, he was taking his one shot and he wasn't going to fall back. He wasn't going to get opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. So that's the difference in the pressure. That's it. And and don't forget, you know, these guys, even the what we'll call pay drivers for now, although I hate that term, they're still incredibly talented because you you give me all the money in the world and I wouldn't even get into an F3 car. So No, you're terrible. You know, th- these guys are still well, thanks for that. But they are they are you know still um you know, incredibly good. I mean, Lance Stroll was part of the Ferrari Driver Academy, for example. <laughs> There's been I, I wonder how those driver academy things work. I I mm-hmm. imagine you can influence your way into a driver academy spot even with Ferrari. I'm sure you can open your checkbook and, and, and become you know, part of those. I, I, don't, I don't rate that. Tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if only the elite get to be part of driver academies. I don't believe that to be the case. Um, Matt, uh, we could move on to a couple of little driver battles. I think we've covered probably the main ones. We've talked a lot about Hamilton and Bottas. I believe that will be state, the status quo this season, despite any... I don't think anyone's going to argue with me that with too much, are they? No, no, I, I did want to bring up uh, Brad's comment about Renault and Racing Point fighting for P5. I do want to point out that last year, Kevin Magnussen qualified P5 for this race. Oh, so uh, yeah. it's not out of, it's not impossible that we could see some very interesting uh, placements uh, come race time. Come what well, we could do. I just, I don't think it's going to be Haas. I've lost all faith in Haas's ability to strike forward and... Uh, it's a shame because they have two drivers that if, if they delivered a half-decent car map, if they had a McLaren-esque car, we would be seeing Grosjean and Magnussen both getting decent results and Grosjean wouldn't have to be overdriving a complete pig. So I I just feel like it, it, they're kind of wasting so much potential at the moment. My expect I, I fully expect Haas to be ninth in the table this year. I, I wouldn't expect too much less of them. Uh, they've already expressed uh, of all the teams they're they're showing up basically with the same car they had at testing um, because they're they're saving their development money for when they have a better sense of where the season is going and also possibly for the following season. It will be interesting to see to me for Haas at the race how their car does relative to qualifying because that's everything for them. Last year they could qualify well but then they couldn't sustain it during a race. If they've solved that problem, then I'm once again willing to see, you know, where they're, they're going to go with it. But I was just speaking to the larger, we could really actually see some midfield teams in proper battles with who we think of as the front runners. The qualifying could be completely mixed up because no one's been on track in quite some time. And, and it just, and Austria, even last year, I'm just saying Haas qualified P5 and that was with an order that was practically set from when everybody showed up. And we knew it that well. We've had all this time off. We could see a racing point qualify P5 or a Renault. Yeah. And Magnussen qualified P5 in this race last year. But where did he finish? 19th. That's oh, they just they went straight backwards, didn't they? They had zero yeah. pace in the race. And this isn't Monaco where you can be down a billion horsepower and still take the race win. This is a track where you will just get breezed by, isn't it? I, I think, guys, I think we are all 
in, insanely excited about the race coming up, but I've also got this kind of sense of disbelief, like something's going to happen, like it's not going to go ahead. Like I've just got this horrible nightmare that we're going to wake up on Sunday and, oh, no, due to restrictions of uh, uh, flights into into Austria or something, I'm not counting any chickens. I still feel so nervous. I've been conditioned to expect nothing from 2020, uh, nothing short of like just all out. Um, what's the war games quote, Chris? Uh, thermo, thermonuclear war. That's global thermonuclear <laughs> yeah. war. That's that's my bar for 2020. Anything above thermonuclear war is going to be a win. But uh, all things going well, we will see you here on Sunday at 8 p.m. We're still going to do your race review before your Monday morning commute. We're going to do a lot of wrong. We're going to do as much first as we can. And I hope that you guys will join us there on Tuesday. We've got a really interesting one-off chat. It's going to be a completely uh, one-off sim racing chat that you can just, you can take it or leave it. Uh, If you're not interested in it at all, you can skip it, but we are going to be speaking to Matthew Elk, who is uh, an authority on, on sim racing, huge YouTube following, really interesting guy. So we're going to be uh, chatting to him for about 20, 30 minutes, and we're going to put that as a standalone episode. You can take that or leave that. Uh, go back and listen to Joe Saywood inside F1 last Sunday, if you've only just jumped back into the show. And as well, it might be worth looking back at some of the shows we've done over the off-season, like Carter versus Saywood. Tell me you didn't miss that, listeners. Tell me you didn't miss Joe Sayward and Matthew Carter on the same live stream. So we're going to do comment of the week, right? You like comment of the week. I like comment of the week. Going to make you pay a high price for hanging around for comment of the week. Firstly, I'm going to find out where to follow my crew. Then I'm going to ask Matt about tyres. And then we're going to do comment of the week. So you're going to have to work for it this week. Brad Philpott, where can we follow you? And actually your sim racing live streams are a brilliant background entertainment. It's a really good quality stream to have on in the background and learn a thing or two about how to correctly go about a track thank you spanish yeah i've been really trying to work on my streaming to make it a bit more professional better overlays and information and not too cluttered and that kind of thing um and you can watch that just by typing in my name into youtube just bradley philpot or if you want the exact channel name it's embarrassingly called b-r-a-d-u-d-e brad dude 2k <laughs> back from the year 2000 when i was 15 and I don't know that sounded cool or something. Um, and also just follow me on Twitter at Bradley Philpot. That'd be awesome. Thanks guys. Awesome. And uh, Catman, you can be found saving turtles from their own shells. Big tragedy in the turtle world. Found out some turtles are born allergic to their own shells and only stealing the heart of a hedgehog can fix them. So big moral dilemmas. The hedgehog people are like, no, no stealing hedgehog hearts to fix turtles. I'm, I'm pretty sure all of this is legit. And and you are pro turtle for which you have received a lot of slack. Um, if people want to support you, though, they can at Catman F1 on Twitter. That's right. But I don't talk about the hedgehog thing. It's a bit of a spiky issue. Oh, well done, sir. You are possibly the best dad ever, if that is your level of dad jokes. And of course, Catman is our quiz master and uh, joins us regularly on karting sessions, has yet to beat me at a karting event. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. And, of course, we've got Matt PT 55 on Twitter. How's it going, my friend? You and I, we've had a very intimate lockdown, you and me, meeting up frequently on Remain Indoors podcast, doing as much Miss Apexing as we can as well, as well as reviewing Picard uh, on Apex TV podcast too. Uh, yeah, done quite a lot of stuff. 
I'm sick of you. We have we have thrown <laughs> many a thing against the wall and almost none of it has stuck as per usual. Hey, remain indoors. It's got a following. If people listen to it, people download it. We have an active live stream and I'm doing everything I can to keep hold of what is, you know, a, a time sink and effectively a money sink because of the amount of time it takes. Uh, with other work coming in, I'm doing my best to hold on to it and uh, we're going to have some Matt Trumpet produced shows as well, hopefully. Uh, but remain indoors. It's become a thing. I love it. I want to keep hold of it as long as I can. Yeah, it, it, I really, it's become a feature of my week to to hang out with you and to talk with all of our guests in the chat room uh, for that time. It, it's genuinely enjoyable. We just need like 10 times as many people to uh, download it. Yeah, yeah, it would be. Yeah, that's it. There's not, not a lot that can't be solved in podcast land with 10,000 downloads. 10,000 downloads makes a podcast very viable. I don't think we're going to get there, but I've had a great time with you. So I've actually learned a lot more about you as well. So at Indoors Remain, mistapexpodcast.com um, forward slash remain indoors you can come uh, and join us there that's the best link because it's actually quite find, hard to find us on YouTube lots of things called remain indoors it was a terrible choice for a name we're definitely going to have to change it you can follow me at spanners ready I'm the best one or the show at mistapexf one that's the one I should probably push the most so Matt before we go to comment of the week before we go there uh, I should mention patreon.com forward slash mistapex because I haven't said that for over 30 seconds. But it is important we look at the tyre allocations for Austria. Quite quickly, can you tell us what to expect from the black round things? I can indeed. I can tell you that happily enough, uh, Pirelli have chosen compounds 2, 3, and 4, which is the middle of the range. Uh, the lower the number, the harder the tyre. And that, you will be so happy to hear this, even though I'll remind everyone at every show, the, the allocations are fixed. They're getting eight soft, three medium, and two hard tires ah. per team, period. There's, that's it. Done. I would like to actually voice my displeasure at that. I would really like them to have maybe made it one hard tire and two medium, so they wouldn't have got to practice on them and then see what they had to do with them in the race. Maybe just give them all softs and one medium, one hard, but they have to use them. That would have made it more interesting. Do you have children? Yes, too. What happens when you don't give them things? <laughs> now give your children each a billion dollars and see what happens. Good, good point. I, I, I wish I could. I wish I could. Don't. They all just waste it on inane stuff. Children are stupid. Matt, we have a great chat room here. They have been... Wow! I've just looked at the chat room numbers. That's good. That's certainly a bigger chat room than we've had during the off-season. Welcome back to all the... Where were you? Where were you during the off-season? Uh, I'm glad you're here now. And I really hope you'll join us live because there is nothing quite like the energy of streaming with a bustling live chat room like we had last season. And I think we can get an even bigger showing for the first Grand Prix back on Sunday. I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. But which one of those comments qualifies for? Comment of the week. It is the most illustrious prize in F1 podcasting. The Missed Apex Comment of the Week, an honour so fragile that unless you put it on your Twitter bio, it disappears forever. So that's what you've got to do. Who are the candidates for this golden orb of awardness? I, I give up. Like, even if they're going to do this, Stuart Neal says, if only we started talking about tyres at the beginning of the show. And I'm thinking, yeah, I should be putting that in there. But I'm doing the segment already. Uh, <laughs> no, at the top, we have to thank HDR for chucking in £9.99 and Eddie Wegman for 
2.29 euros to the super chat if you don't go Thank to the you. tip jar, if you don't support us on Patreon, and you just come for the live show for the YouTube experience, and you want to contribute a little bit when you can, if you can, not required. You can just chuck it in the super chat. We are happy to say thank you very much. We are. In the comment, thank you. In the comment of the week segment. And Tom Wheatley, yes, it is too late to mention how striking my looks are because those comments never qualify you. And with every passing if, with every passing month, that comment becomes more and more of a lie as Mother Time harshly judges poor Matt Trumpets. And now we get to the, and, and this is where I'm beginning to struggle because there are honestly so, so many good candidates. I'm beginning to think we should, I should just catch them all, pick a couple, and then maybe we need to put them up on the website or tweet or them out. Or maybe just narrow it down to three or four, like I ask you to before every single show. I don't want to turn this into like our marital dispute as podcasting spouses, but dude, just pick four and get on with it. Ah, there's so many good ones, though. You don't know what you're missing. John McClintock, can anyone else picture Toto pounding the table after it's been pointed out he's been talking on mute for the seventh time? <laughs> yeah, to be fair, Trumpets, you've been on mute four times. Uh, the audio listeners won't know because we patiently sit here and wait for old man Trumpets to unmute his mic. I, I could explain that, by the way. Don't. Let's do comment of the week. The, the, the thing is... You've mistaken me there. You think I want excuses when what I actually want is results. So if we could crack on. Uh, you, you're, you're happier that I'm on mute. Trust me. Um, uh, Chris Fonseca, I think Brad's cat collided with him while being overtaken. That's I told you so much. The pre-show disasters that the audio listeners now are like, what? What happened? Nothing happened. We'll never speak of the cat again. Uh, so then I won't read Brad's cat just caused his I rating to drop below 5,000 from clappers. Okay. okay. Well, that's it was pretty funny. That doesn't count. Uh, Mark Greenhouse, uh, as long as they're not sourcing their parts from Fanatec, they should be fine. Bit of an inside joke, but nothing mm. from Fanatec is currently available because everyone's been sim racing so much. Yep. True. Um, uh, sausage curbs are the worst. Ugh. W U R S T. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, worse than owner, No such word is whelmed. I'm gruntled to hear it. Whelmed is a perfectly cromulent word. And I think it, the only word that describes the Williams livery. Exactly whelmed. Uh, uh, Lydia Cruz, to be fair, Williams Rocket sounds like they were being sponsored by Salad, which one has to agree. I like that. Yeah. That's a candidate. Atish Sisodia. Mercedes doesn't need any more rockets on their car than they already have. Because they're so fast. Indeed, um, John McClintock, our fans have the best ping times today is a suggestion for Lewis on the podium. Oh, love it. Yeah, no, that is good. Who's that? Is that John M again? Yeah, but he made the yeah, uh, he made the mistake yeah, yeah. bingo, which directly attacks all the stuff I do over and over again. So, <laughs> no, uh, it's just let's uh, let's no, let's not let all him right, so, uh, that's all. Uh, DJ Optem is in with the new graphics. We'll get first name, last name stats wrong is my prediction for this season. <laughs> okay. How many more are there? Jeez. Just one. I feel like I'm stuck in like a, the weirdest Rick and Morty episode. And it's like a thousand comments of the week, a thousand comments. You'll be picking comments of the week forever. They're never going to end. We're never going to get to the end of the list. No winners of comments of the week. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, once again, our friend Lydia Cruz teams are split between the Haas and the Haas Knots. Oh, Okay. Give us a winner. I've forgotten all of them. John M. can win, really. I was joking. Uh, but who can win? Who's the winner? You're really going to leave it to me. 
I yeah. love this. Yeah, no one else can remember a hundred comments. You've gotten them written down. Oh, I see. Well, this is definitely an advantage. I'm going to go with Lydia Cruz for To Be Fair, Williams Rocket. Sounds like they were being sponsored by a salad. Yeah, I like that. Comment of the week. Go and follow the show at Missed Apex F1 on Twitter. Please think about possibly joining our Facebook group and supporting us at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Follow my panel at MattPT55, at Brad Philpot, and at Catman F1. It's race time. The next time you hear my voice, it might well be a race review. Until then, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Yay, it's the end of the stupid off-season. Do you remember how we had to, like, pretend, oh, no, it's a good thing. We could talk about whatever we want. It went on for so long. It went on forever. Thought it was never going to end, but finally it has, and we're going to have racing again. Oh, I can't wait to complain about F1 instead of being so super optimistic all the time, Catman. I can't wait to slate stuff and be like, oh, look at all the hard work they put into those graphics that I could never even dream of doing or programming the algorithms that would make that work. I'm just going to sit here on my stupid sofa drinking beer going, oh, that's rubbish. That's not even what it was like in 1980. Boo. Ah, look at them trying with fan engagement with their home videos. And then I'm going to critique all the fan videos, people's how and go, oh, look, he's misspelt Verstappen. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be the best. Did that feel good? <laughs> it did. It <laughs> I thought you liked my quizzes, Spanners. <laughs> no, it's like the worst kind of time filler. It's like the, all the worst elements of commercial local radio bundled up into one. It was the death eater of F1 content. Oh, you can you can jog off a cliff as far as I'm concerned now. We don't need your garbage filler quiz content. We've got races. Woo-hoo-hoo. This is what happens when I'm well rested and sober for a podcast, by the way. Sorry about that. You're you're mean sober. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.